So for context, for those listening, tuning in, me and Chris decided to um, read this book. It's called All Things New. So you are now a part of the Dallin and Chris Book Club. Always wanted to be in a book club. Day one. <laughs> yeah. And the reason I thought this book was important, it's, it's a book that I actually stumbled across when during COVID. And it was... For some, for some reason, it was life-changing. Maybe it was because it was after college and I had just finished up a philosophy major and I was looking at the world from a different view. But um, the book is written by Terrell and Fiona Gibbons. And I'm just going to read a quote um, in here that does a good job summarizing what the book is intended to do. So I'll go ahead and read that. Robert McFarlane has written that language does not just register experience, it produces it. Our religious language, in particular, informs and shapes our understanding of God, our sense of self, and the way we make sense of our challenging path back to loving heavenly parents. Unfortunately, to an extent, we may not realize our religious vocabulary has been shaped by prior generations whose creeds, in Joseph Smith's words, have filled the world with confusion. I make all things new, proclaimed the Lord. Regrettably, many are still mired in the past in ways we have not recognized. In this book, Fiona and Terrell Gibbons trace the roots of our religious vocabulary, explore how a flawed inheritance compounds the wounds and challenges of a life devoted to discipleship and suggest ways of reformulating our language in more healthy ways, all in the hope that as B.H. Roberts urged, we may all cooperate in the works of the Spirit to find a truer expression of a gospel restored. I, uh, I love this book, and the reason I love it is because it makes me think of new ways to describe my religious experience. And as someone who is so deeply focused on how language shapes my reality, oftentimes I'll go through the exercise of purposely changing the way that I define a certain term or a certain religious experience in the hopes that new light or new meaning will be shed forth. And so sometimes when we get caught up on like what words mean and, and how we ought to use them, like some people from the outside may be looking and saying, well, does it really matter like how we use this word or, you know, what we think about when we, we talk about this word? I think it does because language literally, you know, as, as, as this quote says, it, it doesn't just register experience, it produces our experience, it shapes our reality. There are certain languages in the world where there aren't words for certain um, things or experiences. And when you try and explain a concept to someone who doesn't have a word for that experience, it's impossible for them to comprehend. Right. And so um, when we talk about God and prophets and priesthood and love, these words all have meanings that we have either adopted for our own or have just been passed on 
to us by those definitions in a healthy way and make sure that those definitions are in line with what we actually believe about those things like God, priesthood, baptism, for example. So anyways, I thought that was a good way to kick this podcast off. Um, so that's what we'll be doing over the next few episodes is kind of going chapter by chapter through all things new and um, letting discussion lead from there. It's an easy read and it's very interesting. Uh, we read the first two chapters and uh, wanted to talk about some of the points that we thought were unique and uh, maybe stood out to us. So one of the things that um, stood out to me while reading this, so the first two chapters, uh, the authors go through the history of Christianity, uh, starting from Christ and then with uh, the creeds that followed from Nicaea, um, I can't pronounce the other ones, the Athanasian Creed, and then um, Apostolic. Apostolic Creed, the ideas of Augustine and uh, later philosophers and Christians, and then the Reformation with Martin Luther and uh, <laughs> Calvinism. So it's very interesting. And one of the things that really stood the beliefs of Christians changed. So, for example, the Apostles' Creed uh, is one of the first earliest creeds that was created. I'm not sure how to explain it other than it was made by believers of Christ. And uh, it's very simple. And as the authors say, those that are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I don't think find any caveats with this. So the Apostles' Creed says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered on, under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried, he descended into hell. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, flesh, and the life everlasting. Amen. Like they say, like I know, like that's exactly what I believe, other than the Catholic, the Holy Catholic Church, which I guess can be substituted with our church. But other than that, no, no, no trites, no questions, nothing. But just 200 years later, the Nicene Creed, uh, St. Augustine uh, formulated a council to essentially establish the, the professions of Christians and to establish the doctrine, essentially, because there were a lot of different thoughts from different parts of the world. And they essentially voted and chose what they believe was correct. And a lot of Greek philosophy um, kind of infiltrated the beliefs of, of God. And for example, as an excerpt, this is the Nicene Creed, um, the first of these creeds. It says, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being one of substance, essence, with the Father by whom all things were made. And then there's the Athanasian Creed. And essentially, throughout these creeds, the kind of simple doctrine that God is our Father in heaven 
and that Christ is our savior is almost taken out completely. And so the constant theme that, and not just like the nature of God, but like his role in our lives and like the role of this mortality totally changes. The idea that we lived before this was removed. The idea of what judgment looks like has changed. And page after page, I was just like, it's actually remarkable how they pers pursued truth, but without what I believe, like authority from God, they're kind of left to their own demise. And they believe in a God that's not even close to what Christ taught. And if you like read the Bible and then you read these creeds, it's like, I don't know where these creeds even came from. And, uh, and so to me, the, the, the thing that was just so present was this is why the Lord established apostles. And this is why he has apostles today to correct people when they start saying things about God that are no longer true and are no longer the correct view or interpretation of his doctrine. Some may call that restrictive, but I find that in a way liberating that I don't fall into this belief that, in Martin Luther's words, the only free will humankind possessed was the freedom to sin. Or in Augustine's view, the only reason why God created people who he knew would go to hell was to, quote, manifest his wrath and to demonstrate his power. Human history was the arena for that demonstration. And literally, in the margins here, I wrote, what a perverse view of God, like three times. And it's just so sad that that's how most of Christians believed God, God was. And yeah. so, yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. I think that, um, there has to be, there has, there has to be checks and balances all around us to keep reminding us what is true, what is not, but to push back a little bit about on, on what you're saying, I think it's like an oversimplification of things because what, well, I know how you're going to answer. You're going to say that the difference between the council of Nicaea, those men and apostles and prophets today is one is called of God and the other is not called of God. Right? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't go as far to say that like the apostles or prophets of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are intentionally ever going to lead anyone astray, but I will leave, leave room for the possibility that some definitions, some things over time can be perverted by people still called of God. There has to be room for human error. Of course. So I agree with that. Although I, I agree with the sense in what you're saying that there needs to be apostles and prophets to generally guide us as followers of Christ. I think ultimately what God expects us to do is to use things that we have been given that includes prophets and apostles and scripture and our own line of reasoning and our own ability to seek revelation and our own experiences in a family units to kind of line things up and, and kind of, figure out what is the most true, right? So we're not just given apostles and prophets to declare the truth. We're given lots of things. And I think 
where me and you would differ is you give them a lot of credibility and weight in dictating what is true in your life. Whereas maybe I give them less weight and I give them more weight to other things. Not saying one is right. Well, maybe I am, but I would probably, I, I don't know. Do you understand what I'm saying? I think so. I think that uh, apostles and prophets are important and necessary, but are, aren't something that should just be like a crutch for everything. I think, for example, like with the nature of God, um, him being our father, like, I think if we were to follow the examples of the Greeks and were to pursue the, the definition of perfection, it would actually be quite easy for me to start believing that, okay, in order for something to be perfect, um, it can't be changed. And if it can't be changed, then it can't move. If it can't move, then it can't act. And if it can't act, it can't be acted upon. So if God is perfect, God can't be acted upon. Therefore, God is, he can't have a body because bodies move and they can act. And if they can act, then that means you can act it upon. So therefore, God does not have a body. Like, very easily, I can convince myself through logic that God doesn't have a body because he's perfect. And I think that the role of the prophets and apostles with, and the whole premise of it is that they do have his authority. That's the whole question. Do they or do they not? If they do, then I would be apt to trust them. Like, no, that that's not who God is, right? Like, God is our Father. And they can help correct and guide, like, according to what God has revealed, that is just not true. And so I think that in the end, like, I still can come to know these things are true from spiritual and logical means, but... I've said in previous podcasts that gods are kind of like bridles to help us from wandering too far off to where we, we are no longer even on the path that Christ set for us. Like the, the way that he's asked us to follow him because we've justified it through our reasoning that, you know, this is how he wanted, even though it goes totally against what is revealed in scriptures today. And so. So what would you say about, uh, I know you're a big fan of Jordan Peterson. <clears throat> what would you say is the difference between Jordan Peterson and President Nelson? <clears throat> I would say that Jordan And the weights and credibility that you give them. I'm not talking like, obviously one is quote unquote ordained and holds the keys of the Melchizedek priesthood. But that aside, what's the difference? Well, I believe that one was called God and the other one is an incredibly wise. So, he's, so not called God. Jordan Peterson. Is I would say that he God. does not have the authority of God. And no, I don't no, no. that aside. I, I think I, that's I the main difference. So that's the only difference. I would say that God has not called him to be an apostle. Okay. But that doesn't mean that he can't be inspired. That doesn't mean he can't give wisdom and, and spiritual revelation. Like, just as you're not an apostle, I'm not an apostle. That doesn't mean we can't give spiritual revelation and counsel. But if Jordan Peterson were to say that God doesn't have a body, in fact, that's actually the one area of disagreement that I have with George Peterson is his view of God, because his view of God is honestly just as incomprehensible as a lot of these creeds. Like it, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, Sam Harris even said, if I can't understand what you're saying, do you really think that other people understand what you're saying? But like, I listened to that debate as well, and I totally understood what he was saying. I think Sam Harris was kind of reaching, but that's... 
That's another point. Um, my my question. But do you think there's any difference between Jordan Peterson? Mm, I don't know, man. I I don't know. I would give what Jordan Peterson says probably equal weight and equal credibility in my mind to the things that President Nelson says. Like as far as wisdom goes, I think they're both intelligent men. They've seen a lot of incredible things. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I just connect to what Jordan Peterson is saying more so than sometimes I connect with President Nelson. Um what would be interesting, and I know we talked about this a little bit last last episode, is this idea of being able to seek truth through prayer and what that means. I would be interesting to hear what you think. Well, I actually already know what you think, but it would be interesting to explore a little bit more. If I were to go to God directly and say, hey, is President Nelson a prophet of God? What, what my answer would be, mm-hmm. or if he gives me an answer. I'd be interested to know like how God thinks of prophets. And I'd also be interested to know like if I went to God and asked, hey, is Jordan Peterson a prophet? Has he been called by you to do what he's doing? Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think like in 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 the traditional Protestant religion, you know, when I served my mission in Oklahoma, everyone always like was like, Well, why can't I be a prophet? You know, I can speak mm-hmm. by inspiration and revelation from God, right? And I think to a certain extent, that's very true. Mm-hmm. Maybe they can't speak on behalf of an entire church and an entire organization, whatever that means. Why not? Well, I'm just speaking from like Mormon doctrine, right? Uh, like you, you would agree with that, right? Yeah. Well, I'm just more curious from your point of view. Well, I'm, I'm just speaking from Mormon doctrine, trying to relate to like what you would say. But... Um, and and by, by the way, I do see a purpose in like one man speaking or multiple men, like a group of men speaking for an entire organization rather than every man for himself gets gets to dictate like policies of the church. I do see value in that. Mm-hmm. Um, what values do you see? I mean, I think there's obvious ones, but the lack of chaos, right? Organization, yeah. making sure that there's consistency and know how we behave as a community um i can't even remember where i was going with this but um jordan peterson and being a prophet for example i i wonder like if he's called of god and president nelson is called of god to do certain things this is just me like redefining the term prophet because i think some people are like or in the Mormon religion, like no one else can be a prophet because they must hold priesthood authority. But should we be opening up that definition a little bit more and allowing ourselves to go out and seek other inspired men to help guide us and provide more checks and balances to what we're learning? Because I would say most of the Mormon population is probably going to default directly back to what President Nelson says, but I think it would be healthy also to kind of like go out and, you know, if if you're drawn to like one person and the way that they speak to you, like line up what they're saying, you know, I I don't, I think that's a healthy, healthy thing to do. I think that those two ideas are for sure compatible. Like I would say, I mean, the doctrine covenant says, you know, seek ye the best wisdom out of the best books, right? It doesn't say only read the scriptures and only listen to my prophet, but, 
he says like seek wisdom out of the best and most intelligent people. So I think that that's coherent with what we believe. I would say that I don't think it's inappropriate to call um, Jordan Peterson a prophet in the sense that he's called to help people in their struggles. If that's how you want to define a prophet, then sure, I'll define him as a prophet that way. But the, I think that what to your point, like the way that we define prophet within the church is someone that speaks on behalf of God for his church. But that does not mean that there are different types of prophets, right? And that to me is not like wrong. I think, uh, I think Jordan for sure has been called of God in a sense to help young men specifically learn how to overcome the obstacles in their lives and to help them grow and become men and help them take responsibility. I, but I don't think he's been called as a prophet to lead his church. Yeah. So, and whatever leading the church means, um, let's, let's jump into what we were talking about yesterday with a couple of our buddies. Cause I think this is applicable to our conversation. The example that Kenny gave, do you want to give some context or do you want me to? Sure. Um, really quick. Do you, with the prophet definitions, what are your thoughts on that? Like, would that jive with you that Jordan Peterson could be a prophet, but just called for a different purpose as opposed to president Nelson's calling of a prophet? Uh, yeah, but maybe, maybe another term would be best like president of the church. Like if it's, if it's the organization that we're concerned about mm-hmm. and you're called to speak on behalf of that organization for whatever that the purpose of that organization is, and maybe it's like the president of the church, this idea of, of yeah. prophet and, and the spirit of prophecy. I think the Bible defines the spirit of prophecy as speaking with the, the mind of the spirit. Is that right? Do you remember the I exact remember. verse? No, I can't remember. There's but essentially, I, I think what it says is essentially when we speak by the power of the Holy Ghost, we're speaking by the voice of prophecy, right? Mm-hmm. So this idea that we can receive revelation and speak in the name of God when we receive inspiration and revelation for our families or for our friends. I, I, I don't know. It'd be interesting to kind of like think of that term more loosely, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, I, I certainly don't advocate for, we should only listen to what the prophet says. That's not, Otherwise, I'd be a massive hypocrite because I listen to Jordan Peterson like almost every day and others as well. So, um, and you know, reading this book, they're not prophets in this in the sense of the Mormon term, but I would say that they're for sure inspired and they're for sure called to write books, right? And they're called to. Are they speaking by the spirit of prophecy? I would say that so far, I haven't felt otherwise. Yeah, so me too. Um, but I don't think that they would say that they're speaking on behalf of the whole church, which is kind of what you're saying. So anyways, uh, cool. Well, Kenny, our, well, Kenny, our friend, uh, good, good time. Old friend, um, was, uh, texted us yesterday and he asked us is decorating the church on a Sunday night for an FHE, a family home evening event, which is just like a, a get together with people from your congregation is decorating the church on Sunday night in preparation for that event the next day, breaking the Sabbath. 
the air name. And, and it was it was sent in our group chat. Mm-hmm. Just a random question. Mm-hmm. I kind of laughed thinking this was a joke. I was like, absolutely not. It's not against the Sabbath day. Yeah. And everyone responded the same thing. Yeah. No, that's no. not against the Sabbath day. No. And you made an interesting point about, well, if it's your church calling and that's something that you're doing on a Sunday is fulfilling your church calling that Sunday by going and preparing for this party, which is going to be tomorrow. Isn't that exactly what the Sabbath day is about? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't. So we all said no. And then the reason why Kenny brought this up is because his bishop said that they couldn't. Bishop and counselors. Bishop. Oh, was, I didn't remember the counselor. Bishop and counselors said that they couldn't because it was breaking the Sabbath. They felt, they felt like it, it was, was breaking, breaking the, the Sabbath, Sabbath and they would be more comfortable if they would wait and do it on Monday. Mm-hmm. This was frustrating to Kenny because he and everyone else had jobs that they didn't want to miss the next morning. And so mm-hmm. it wasn't going to get done unless they did it on that Sunday night. Right. And so he expressed his frustration and asked what we thought about it. Which is, to be fair, really rare of Kenny. Like, it's not like I've never heard Kenny say anything contrary or frustrations before. So just for context there, because I think that might be helpful for some people. Yeah. yeah. So this, this was a perfect example in my mind of what we've been discussing about prophets and priesthood authority and the order of organization and how we are to think about these things while still balancing this personal line of communication with God and using our own reason and our own ability to receive revelation and inspiration to kind of like check and balance what our leaders, our ordained leaders are saying, Mm -hmm. the leaders that are called of God to represent us. Yeah, right. So this egged on a two hour <laughs> long text chain. Between. I was supposed to be taking a nap and I was just like going back and forth. Yeah. Randy. Yeah. So, um, it was, it was quite interesting. And I eventually talked to my dad and family about it that night too, for like another hour. So I'm actually kind of tired <laughs> of, uh, this whole, I'm not tired. I'm just tired in general, but, um, cause I very strongly believe that the Bishop essentially saying no, at least this is my interpretation. The, the bishop saying, no, you can't do this because we feel it's breaking the Sabbath day is an infringement upon other people's rights to receive revelation if that's breaking the Sabbath or not. In fact, I, I so thoroughly believe that it's not breaking the Sabbath, that it, that's, what, that's honestly what frustrates me the most, is that it's a church calling for a church activity that will be done in the church with church members. What other, like what other calling that you don't do, like young men's bishopric meetings, yeah. like party planning committees meeting. What is the difference? Like there, there, is. there isn't other than maybe physical labor of literally hanging things, which is nothing. Right. Like, so that's what frustrates me the most. Is and it shouldn't frustrate me as much as it does, but well, so the reason I think this is so interesting is because this is a bishop, this is an ordained man of God. Do bishops hold keys? I can't even remember. Yeah, Yeah, bishops hold keys, so like we can't even get past that argument, right? Mm -hmm. Bishop holds the keys to this ward, this congregation, body of members, and is telling this person probably shouldn't go decorate the church because it's against the Sabbath day. Mm -hmm. Now, 
in my mind, it's a pretty easy, well, he was not, maybe not necessarily wrong. Maybe that's how he interprets the Sabbath day, but like it clearly in my mind is not against the Sabbath day to go and do this. Mm -hmm. So what are we supposed to do about this? Right. Mm -hmm. And I see a direct correlation in this and what we brought up last week about like um, black people not being able to receive the temple blessings, right? Yeah. And in my opinion, this is a perfect example of where human error can get in the way and God expects us to use our reason and our personal line to go directly to him and, and say, no, this, this isn't right. I'm going to act a different way. Mm-hmm. And so the example was brought up yesterday, like, could Kenny have obeyed the bishop and gone and, you know, missed work on a Monday and shown his faithfulness and, and got the job done? Sure, he could have. But is that healthy? No, I, I would say it's not healthy because that's that's one of the ways that I lived my life for such a long time with this religious scrupulosity is if it was said by a priest, an ordained member of the bishop or prophets or an apostle, then there had to be a way for me to prove my faithfulness to God and just get it done. It was almost like a test. Mm-hmm. So I could imagine a situation in Kenny's life last night. Let's just say Kenny was super faithful. He's like, okay, my bishop doesn't want me to do this. So I have to prove my faithfulness mm-hmm. and I have to quit my job and just get this done tomorrow. And you know what? God will take care of the rest. Well, I would say that that is not the right way of thinking. Agreed. And I think Kenny would be wrong in that. I don't think the bishop would say to quit your job in order to do this. I think that, I think what Randy said was, I've changed a lot throughout this last 24 hours of my opinions on this, but I think what Randy said was right in the sense of what Kenny could just say is like, look, if we don't do it tonight, it's not getting done. So with that being said, that's the situation. And then the bishop can either say, okay, that's fine. Or the bishop can say, okay, you can come. And if the bishop says, okay, that's fine, then okay. Or he says, I don't know, it's not just like a one or two thing. Or he says, okay, well, you didn't fulfill your church calling. I, I mean, it could, could could be. He could. Yeah, I would could say be. that that's probably the least likely. But could. But he would, I mean, it could. But I think the bishop would then realize, well, it's because of him that they're not doing it. And so the bishop would be in the wrong if he were to say something like I'm that. I'm just saying. You're right. But the bishop would be wrong. Technically, Kenny's church calling is to set this party up. And so if he doesn't do it, yeah, an argument could be made that it wasn't fulfilling his church calling. I, I, if, yeah, I guess. But I would say that uh, the, like, if the bishop is the one prohibiting the church calling being fulfilled and the calling can't be fulfilled because of the bishop's thing, then the bishop is then holding responsibility for Kenny not being able to set it up. It no longer falls upon him, but upon the bishop. I agree. Right? I, I Listen, I agree with that. As an right. outsider looking in, I realize that that's the case. I realize that's, that that's true. Mm-hmm. But I'm telling you, as someone who lived a life like Kenny, I felt the guilt and the need to do whatever I could to fulfill that church calling. And so I went to an extreme to get it done because this is what my leader was telling me to do. Mm-hmm. And so if I am to prove my faithfulness, I'm just going to figure out a way to do it, mm-hmm. you know? So that's why I think it's so dangerous is, is when we, when we put 
these men who are good men, this bishop was well-intentioned. I'm sure he had no mal intentions. Mm-hmm. But when, when things like this or the traditions of our fathers seep into the decisions that our church leaders make, sometimes it can be an unhealthy way for us to live if we follow what they ask us to do. And so I see no difference in this example with the example of going against what potentially a prophet or an apostle could teach if it doesn't directly line up with like what you have received revelation from God about. So I could see an instance where, you know, someone receives revelation, for example, hey, it's okay to drink coffee. It's okay to drink coffee this one time. You have health problems. God is telling me to do this. It's okay. But the prophets are telling me another thing. I just, I don't think it's that far off. And I think this was a perfect example. So, so back to your like scrupulosity, wouldn't you say that that's more of a, and I mean this with all love, more of like a you problem? It is a me thing. Instead of like the church problem? Yeah, it's because I didn't understand this principle that I'm, I'm trying to teach right now is that the personal line comes first and then the prophetic and the authority line comes second. So I don't know how, like, I don't know how my response to the bishop saying or Randy's response saying, like, it's not getting done isn't like like coherent with what you're saying like if it is you you could say that right so like you don't have to go to the extreme of like oh i have to quit my job i have to do this i mean if the bishop no i'm just saying that other people do live in that mindset there's a lot of people out there isn't that their it's their problem right but that's why i'm trying to teach that hey guess what it's okay to go against what is being taught as long as you're Truly seeking after the truth and receive revelation that this is what you, he wants you to do. I'm just saying. Yeah. So you're just trying to help others see that you don't have to bend your will and your mind over backwards to meet this ideal perfection that seems like almost impossible to meet. Is that yeah, kind of what yeah, you're trying, yeah. To, yeah. trying and, to? And I'll give you another example. So, and we've talked about this missions. In the yeah. 70s or the 80s or the 90s, whenever you want to say it, church leaders and prophets and apostles got up on the pulpit and emphatically made it very clear that anyone who was, how old was it? 21 at the time? Mm-hmm. 19, 19. 19 years old. Uh, anyone who was male and 19 years old in the church was to serve a full-time two-year mission. Mm-hmm. It was emphatic. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like doctrine, but it was like what you were supposed to do. Yeah, it was a priesthood responsibility. A priesthood responsibility. And everyone was like, hey, you're going on a mission. This is what God mm-hmm. expects you to do. And over the years, what has happened? It has become softer. Mm-hmm. And now we see a lot of people are like, well, maybe a mission isn't the best thing for me to do. Like a two-year mission as opposed to a service mission. A service mission, or maybe you are to go and preach the gospel through professional sports, for example. I don't know. For me, serving a two-year mission was really good for me, and I'm glad I did it. Could there have been other things that I could have done? Maybe. But my point is the stance has changed over time. And I can imagine many people in the church in the 90s or in the 80s, men, who suffered from depression, for example, or anxiety, coming home early from their missions, thinking they were a failure and thinking, hey, I have to leave the church now because this is against what I was taught, right? Right. 
when in reality, I'm, I'm saying there's a healthier way to view these things. If God is telling you, hey, it's okay, you don't have to serve a mission, you did your best, or hey, this isn't right for you, and the prophets are telling you the opposite, you can still be an active member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and in good standing mm -hmm. and not have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. Because I think so many people are, are going out and they're doing this. It's because it's this black and white mindset of you have to take it or you have to leave it. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, I think it's great that it is changing. I mean, that shows that I, I believe that the men today are very different than the men in the 80s or 19-year-olds in the 80s are very different than 19-year-olds now. And statistics show that, right? So, I mean, I would say that for the majority, I would, I would guess that for the majority of men at that time, them saying that it's a priesthood responsibility probably was true. Most men fit that bill. But I do, I, I mean, growing up. Well, hold on really quick and I'll let you finish. But what would have happened in the 90s when this was going on and it was trendy? If someone had gone to their bishop and said, hey, I received revelation that I'm not supposed to serve a mission. I, what do you think would be the general response across the board? I would, I, well, I know the answer that you think that you want it to be. I think that it probably would be, why do you think that way? I think honestly, that's what. Well, you would be a very good bishop, but I would say most of what brethren it is the priesthood responsibility to serve a mission. Yeah, I would, I, I would say that. Hey, you have to figure out a way to make a sacrifice and make this work. It's a priesthood responsibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, could, maybe, no, and I'm sure that happened. Could they have sure gone through it? Could they have gone through it? Yes, I know. Actually, a lot of people that were like. Yeah, I bit the bullet and I served a two-year mission and it was the worst experience of my entire life. Mm -hmm. Those are the people that went and did their duty anyways. Mm -hmm. And then also reverse, right? That's a good thing. But maybe the best thing for them in that instance was to go and get married, start a family, mm -hmm. and do something else. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying that following these directives or these orders from the apostles is like bad things a good thing can still be unhealthy, right? Like if I eat a Kit Kat bar, it could be good if I have no other calories available, yeah. right? Yeah. And I'm going to starve to death. But eating a turkey sandwich might be the best thing. So you, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So serving a mission, even though you've received revelation that it's probably not for you, mm -hmm. could still be a good thing for your life, but maybe it was just a waste. Maybe you could have been doing something better with your time. Yeah. 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 I, I would say that that's probably true. And I think that's part of the reason why it has changed is because we've seen the results of that. And I think that God does work through us imperfect individuals. And I do think that what they said that it is a perfect, it is a priesthood duty is true doctrinally, but that doesn't necessarily, like you're saying, mean that if you don't serve a mission right now, that you are somehow an unworthy member of the church. I agree with that premise. I think that that's, and I think that most good bishops and state presidents and, you know, general leaders would also agree with that in the nineties. But I will admit there probably was a lot of, well, brother, this is your responsibility. And so let's do it. Like let's, God will bless you for going. You'll, your life will be changed. And I'm sure that we saw, I, I bet there was, I don't know the percentages, like, 60% of the time, yeah, it did work out, and they were able to figure it out. I'm sure 
30, 40% of the time, they hated it and they didn't learn anything from it because their heart wasn't in it. And I think that's the whole point is like, where is our heart? And so I'm grateful that it has, that the guilt part of it has kind of left, even though I don't think the guilt was purposefully. Well, the, the guilt comes from a desire, a desire to do what God wants us to do. And so when your leaders are telling you one thing and you're receiving something else from God, it's like this, man, am I crazy? Like, am I just making these things up? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, 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 it's for sure that you cannot go against what the prophets and the apostles are saying because they're called of God and they receive revelation for the whole church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, there's a lot of things to speak to, particularly about the culture. And, you know, I, I don't want to, I'm imperfect and I'm not a perfect member of the church or a perfect being. So I can't, I don't want to cast aspergeses, but I know that there were many missionaries that I served, not many, but there were a few missionaries that I served with that said that awful mentality. I talk about fear driving your obedience. It's awful. I, I think that that is a horrible culture. I'm glad that that's kind of dissipating. And I, I do think that we're almost swinging the pendulum the other way. We're like coming home seems to be just like a 40% chance now for a yeah, lot of missionaries. We're softening up for sure. But, um, softening up isn't always a good thing. Yeah. But, um, you know, that, that culture of, of shame around you not doing something, even though you tried your best doing it, that's horrible. That's not godly. Thankfully, it's it's leaving. Yeah, but you're 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 t- this this is great. But you're 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 talking about something completely different. I'm talking about specifically the example of like the bishop telling Kenny he can't go. Well, you changed the subject. No, 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 no. So this mission. No, because it's it fits the per- so the apostles and prophets were telling you go serve a mission, mm-hmm. and there were people out there that were like this isn't for me, mm-hmm. and they got like quote unquote bullied into it mm-hmm. because it's what God wanted them to do. It's what the brethren were saying. Yeah. So that, that was my only point. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think with the Bishop example with Kenny, I, I will say after talking to my dad about it and disagreeing with yeah, him what for the he whole think? hour. Well, he says that as a Bishop, he has the rights to the building and it would be like someone coming to your house. And if someone wanted to decorate your house on Sunday and you didn't feel like it was appropriate, I think it's in that person's right to say, I don't want you doing this because I don't think it's appropriate. Like, I don't want you to do this. And the, the house being a symbol of the church, the bishop has rights to say, you know, I feel like this isn't appropriate. And I just, I would feel comfortable for you if you didn't do it. We don't know the That's exact. That's fair. That's fair. I totally understand where he's coming from. So I would push back and say, well, your definition of what's appropriate and what's not appropriate is wrong. Or at least very different. Than and, you don't, and you don't get to define what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. God does. Yeah. And he has defined it. Mm-hmm. That's what I would say. Yeah. Well, I think that that is a bold way to respond, I guess. I would just say, well, why do you think it's breaking the Sabbath? I would want to hear why he thinks it. And then I would bring up my other calling analogy. Is it, can you explain to me the difference in this calling versus other callings? Yeah. And if he can't come up, if he has a bullcrap reason or like, well, I just don't feel like it's good. It's like, well, then I think that you should. I don't know. I, I just disagree with you. Yeah. And, you and do have rights over the, the, the church. For so sure. And, and by the way, this is me. And this is not me trying to get access to the church. Like, if, like I, I'm, I'm the kind of guy who's like, okay, you don't want me to decorate on a Sunday I won't night? I decorate it. Perfect. <laughs> I'm not decorating it. Yeah. 
You know, <laughs> that's definitely the wrong mindset. But this is not me saying, well, you have to give me access to the church because God wants me to. Yeah. This isn't against the Sabbath day. I would just be like, well, frankly, I think that your interpretation is wrong mm -hmm. and we can agree to disagree. And I just, yeah, this isn't going to get done tonight. Yeah. And, and then, I would be totally okay with that. And I'm just move on and, yeah. and move on. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But I think a lot of people are afraid to do that. And I think they shouldn't. Like, I think that that's totally appropriate, specifically in this example. Right. Like, I feel like this is a very clear as day example, but I think where we would differ is like, when does that stop and when does it start? Right. Like, like Randy said, I don't want to give too much credit to myself because it's mostly Randy. What Randy said was bishops don't really have the right to proclaim what is a quote unquote breaking of a commandment and what isn't. Okay. Whereas prophets and apostles typically do. Like that's typically their role because they're quote unquote speaking for God. So essentially God dictates what is breaking and keeping a commandment. And the way that we receive it is through them. And the bishops, if we believe in well, the, no. of the authority, I think that bishops are, their role is not that their role is to oversee the, the current Congress. They don't have the priest of keys over the war. Okay. What if the state president said it? If the state president, well, I asked my dad the same question. Well, <laughs> And there's ways to get around it. But like, at the end of the day, it feeds right back up to the apostles and prophets. Again, state president's role is not that, is not to proclaim what is breaking a commandment and what yeah. isn't. Okay. So, well, regardless. But that is, but that matters though, right? Like distinguishing between bishops and state presidents and prophets matters in your analogy of blacks and the priesthood or the word of wisdom. It doesn't matter as much to me just because like I would say Jordan Peterson in my opinion, holds more weight and credibility in what he says than like my local bishop does. Okay. Like I view them as equal and standing and being able to tell me what, how to interpret certain things. Right. So okay. it is, a, I view it a little bit differently, but I understand why it would be important to you. Yeah. So if Peter came to you and said, yo, you can eat pork now, <laughs> you know, you're a Jew. And, you know, Peter says, you know, I've had a vision. God has spoken to me. We can eat these animals now. And you, what would your reaction be to that? Even though it may seem, well, let's just, let's probably just, wouldn't be. Let's just do alcohol because it's, it hits a little bit closer to home. Let's just say that president Nelson comes and says, Hey, word of wisdom is we're good to go guys. <laughs> what way? We can drink alcohol. We can drink coffee. We can drink tea. And like my reaction would be like, well, interesting. But I have no interest. And if he would come, if he came to me and said, "Hey, you you have to drink alcohol," I'd be like, "No, I don't think he would." Say yeah, that. I I know that, but mm -hmm. like, it wouldn't it wouldn't make a huge difference to me, you know? It, mm -hmm. It's not like I follow that just because the prophet, the prophet tells me not to do it. Like I've received my own mm -hmm. witness, if you will, through experiences in my own life that tell me that I have no interest in drinking alcohol. I have no interest in drinking coffee. And I've come to those conclusions on my own between me and God. And mm -hmm. so it just happens to line up with what the prophet is telling me. So it's... Yeah. yeah. Which, I, which I think is the pursuit of all... Most of the time. Right? Most, most of the time. Yeah. So this brings up the question, what does it mean to down Cutler to obey? Like, what does that word actually mean to you? Or obedience? Um... Well, I think obedience has certain connotations that 
um, have this like control element to them. That's how I think of obedience. When I, whenever I think of obedience, I think of like me and my dog. Like, well, like, I can see why you mean about it's like why my, you don't believe God is like that. My dog, <laughs> my dogs don't obey me, right? And they need to obey me because okay. I don't know. I don't want them jumping over. Like, what? Who cares if a dog jumps on you or if the dog comes in your kitchen? But those are like rules I have for my dogs. Like, I don't want you jumping on me, mm-hmm. and I don't want you coming in the kitchen because it's annoying, right? Okay. So there's an element of control just because they're dogs, and I view them as being able to be controlled. You know, so and the act of being controlled is how you. I think there's an element of control in obedience because there are certain laws that I follow are are obedient to because I believe that they are for our safety. Mm -hmm. But you brought up the question earlier before the podcast started about, well, I think that if you truly love someone that you will obey them. But I don't, I don't really, that doesn't like resonate with me because. Well, I mean, with your definition of obey, yeah, of course. I mean, that to me, sound, can, if obedience means being controlled or the way that no, you talk no, to No, 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 no. It doesn't mean being controlled. There's an element of control to it. Just like when we have a speed limit, there's an element of control in our behavior, but it's not to just control us. It's for our safety. Yeah. You control someone mm-hmm. to keep them safe. Mm-hmm. So why? But there are other circumstances where people give rules and laws to simply control because they want to control you, and it's a power thing. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah. So I'm not Which saying I would argue isn't what God. No, I, exactly. I don't think that that's that's God's nature. Absolutely not. Right. Which is why I have a hard time believing that God, number one, needs our obedience. I would say that the act of obeying does something to our natures. Mm-hmm. So I see, I see, uh, I see purpose in obedience, but I don't see the love in obedience, if that makes sense. So when Christ said, I do all things that pleaseth the Father, and I do nothing save it what the Father telleth me to do. I, I would, yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think it comes down to like language again, and the way that we talk about obedience you see when i think about loving god it's more of like a child-son relationship like i look up to him and i'm like Mm -hmm. man i want to be like my dad right yeah i love it yeah but it's like it's it's less of my dad has like rules that you have to follow in order to be like him and more of, I'm just going to copy the things that he did, and I'm just going to observe him and do the things that he tells me have helped him. Does that make sense? So mm-hmm. it's, it's just like, it's shifting, it's, it's just shifting words around to kind of like, mm-hmm. I don't know. So how is that incongruent with love or admiration? Like, cool. I want to do things because I love my dad. Mm-hmm. And because I love my dad, I want to be like him. I want to do the things that would have me emulate him right like you're and if your dad you know wakes up every day at five o'clock and that's something that he believes helps you out and makes you a better proactive person i don't know i'm just making this up like he he'd probably tell you like this is just my schedule and this is what i do and they're like okay well i want to do that but to go to go to continue with your analogy i would say that there are certain things that 
if I want to be like my dad, there are probably certain things that he's going to point out. This is very important for you to do in order to become like me. Okay. And there are other secondary and tertiary things that you have to do, that you ought to do, mm-hmm. that will help you to become like me, but they don't matter as much. Are so, you the one that determines that, or does he determine I it? think he determines it. Okay. And it's my job to ask him what he prioritizes and what was so important for him to become what he was to become. So now you can start to see how I'm viewing these eternal truths. What is God most concerned about? The things that he's most concerned about are his highest priorities. I better be aligned with those things and I better shape my life to them. And then there are other things that maybe he's not as concerned about right now. They'll make a difference in my life if I, if I do them. But let's focus and prioritize on the things that matter the most, i.e. language, for example, mm-hmm. is something that I don't necessarily think God has high up on the list. Whereas not cheating on my wife is very high on the list if I want to become like him. Mm-hmm. So I'm definitely not going to cheat on my wife. Mm-hmm. But if I say, damn it, or shit, you know, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So it's less, it's less about obedience, in my opinion, like following a, a checklist of rules and more about, well, what does God care most about? And that's, that's how I want to learn my life. Right. And that's why I think the personal line is so freaking important mm-hmm. is because what he has prioritized for me may not be exactly what he has prioritized for you. I think at the end of the day, there are certain like truths that we have to align with that are like not optional. But then there are other things that, I don't know, maybe you're more prone to becoming addicted to alcohol, right? Mm-hmm. And so you ought not to drink alcohol, whereas me, maybe I can handle my liquor a little bit better. You know what I mean? Yeah. Rude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would say that we're like 99% aligned. That's exactly how I view God. That's exactly why I do the things that I do. That's exactly why I believe and and do the things that I prioritize because I think that that's what God would have me do. I agree that that there is probably a set of priorities for us and we're all at different parts of the path, quote unquote, um and becoming like him. And I think that if we were to try to do everything all at once, we'd be paralyzed by our own scrupulosity or by our own imperfections and that is really unhealthy. And so I think that your process of Okay, Heavenly Father, what what is it that I need to work on? And then you live your life and you get feelings. Well, what do you thoughts. care most about? What, yeah, or yeah, which I think is the same net result. Right? Like, what do you care most about? What would you have me work on? What can I do to be more like you? The net result be what do you care most about for me, right? Or and so like swearing for you, I think that we could both agree that like God has counseled us to like let virtue garnish our thoughts unceasingly. Like that counsel is not gone, but maybe like in your life, Dallin, I don't need you worrying so much about swearing. Like I need you to focus more on like how you view me because that's yeah. actually what I care about. That well, doesn't I, mean I understand what you're saying. And so like, it doesn't mean that those tertiary things aren't there still. It's just like, we have, we can't do everything all at once. You're a very goal oriented person. And I think that God would speak through you through certain goals specifically as opposed to shotgun approach of let's do everything all at once right now right like i just want you to work on these these things or 
Like these are the things that are most important to me for you right now. doesn't mean that other things don't exist, but like knowing you, Dallin, knowing you, Chris, these are these things right now that you can work on. Right? Like, not yeah. Yeah, 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 you are. But you can understand why I now question everything that I do in, in the setting of the church. It's like, why do I go to church? Number one, mm-hmm. what is the purpose and what does God want me to get out of it? That's the answer. If, if I can answer that question, then it makes sense for me to do it or mm-hmm. do whatever I've come to the conclusion of. It's not, not that I'm making my own conclusions, but I'm using God mm-hmm. as a backdrop to like bounce ideas off of him. Like, okay, if, if I'm supposed to become like God and his work and his glory is to bring past immortality and eternal life of man, what role does organized religion play in my life to help me attain that? Mm-hmm. And are there other things that I could be doing? that accomplish that same purpose that might be better for my time of life, for example, mm-hmm. like this idea of going fishing with your son and building relationships when he's three years old and he wants to hang out with me as opposed to, okay, at 18 years old, maybe you'd rather go to teacher's quorum and hang out with your boys, right? Like, mm. I don't know. Is it accomplishing the same purposes that God wants for me at the end of the day? That's between me and God. It, it's not, it doesn't get to be dictated every little thing by a prophet and apostle in the culture and society and how they've defined it for me. Which do you think that, that that's how it's being taught right now? Like, do you feel like everything is being dictated by the prophets and apostles? Because I don't feel that way. Well, when I say prophets and apostles, I say local leaders as well. Like my, my bishop showed up at my doorstep a few months ago. I was like, hey, why don't you come to church? And he's like, well, as long as you're going to church, we're good. I'm like, well, is is going to church like, you know, there's, there's just like this, it's like this prescriptive, it's, it's like a doctor prescribing something. And and the prescription is the same for every single person in the church. It's like, you have to be an active member of the church. Mm. You have to be doing, living a certain way in order to be seen as valiant in the testimony of Jesus. Mm. So we're conflating activity in the church with are testimonies of Jesus. And I just think that's so far from the truth. Like it, it, they can't be conflated. So here's a question. And I don't know. I don't even know if I know the answer to this, but if Christ were alive today, would he quote unquote be active in the church? Um, what is, yeah, well, let's define what active means. Cause like in the role that like, do you think he'd be going to church? Do you think that he would, be like i don't know it's jesus so it's really hard like it's because he's the leader of the church so he'd probably be doing what the prophet's doing right like well like, i mean take a look at his life how many how many times did he go into the synagogue and the temple and, and, and like in organized religion settings well i would say that that wasn't his church at the time the synagogues and the temple i would say that those weren't his established church. That's why he came was know, to do man. that. The te- he spent time in the temple teaching. He did. It doesn't mean that there and were some things to learn. As soon as he left, Peter went to the temple and had an incredible experience on day of Pentecost. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I think that's a soft argument. We, we can make it sure. But like, what did he spend his days doing? That's he spent his days healing. He spent his days visiting serving, people, and serving other teaching, people. And, yeah. And so I would just say like, there are other things in my life that I could be doing on a Sunday rather than going to church and sitting in a pew and listening to people talk. 
I'm not saying that's a bad thing. If that's how you worship Christ and, and you feel like you're serving him. And mm-hmm. if it's your calling at that time to go and be the primary uh, president and like serve kids in that capacity, that's what Jesus would be doing. But Jesus mm-hmm. could potentially also be fishing with the kid who doesn't mm-hmm. have any friends because that's what he wants to do, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm not arguing that Christ wouldn't fish, but I, I would say that if we believe the prophets and apostles are who they say they are, you know, there are certain Would he things. have his butt in a church every single Sunday? I think he would. I mean, I think he would be taking a sacrament. That was the last thing he did before he died. Yeah. I think that that's what he would do. Yeah, I think he would too. How often? Is it is it a weekly occurrence or would he be doing it more often? He said on the Sabbath, that's what you do is take his sacraments. So, I mean, I would. No, he said in the Book of Mormon as often as possible. So does that mean every day? Well, on this. On, so who gets to dictate who that? Well, in the Doctrine and Covenants, it says in section 67, I can't remember where. Six, in the Doctrine and Covenants, it says on the Sabbath day, you need to observe my sacraments. Yeah, but you understand what I'm saying. I do. Like, How but, often? But he has, well, on the Sabbath day. Okay, but what about when it's state conference? We don't partake of the sacrament, so how do you explain that? Well, to me, well, I yeah, so that question. Okay, so how often? Take exactly. So that's that's my point. It's like, should we do it every week? Should we do it every other day? So of course he's going to be partaking in the sacrament. I'm not saying that we shouldn't participate in those ordinances, but mm-hmm. like, I I still go to church. By the way, I just don't go every single week. Some day, some weeks, I go four weeks in a row. And then there may be three weeks where I'm out of town and we're mm-hmm. like, no, we're, we're going to go hike Zion mm-hmm. this Sunday, right? Yeah. Um, whereas in my past life, I would have said, well, I have to go to church and then I can go and do these things. It was like a, it was like a, a box that I needed to check. Which because, I would say is the probably the wrong view of you going to church, right? Like that, that would be the obedience out of fear and not the obedience because you love him and that you want to be there and you want to. Yeah. Which but, is if, different, but, if, right? but if I love him, I'm still doing things that well, bring would... me closer to him and that show my love to him. Like spending time with my son, in my opinion, is no different than going and taking the bread and the water in, in, in that moment. You know, I can take the bread and the water on Monday if I want to or the next Sunday. Right. It's, it comes back to this question of how often. Yeah. So it's not like I'm, I'm totally refusing that. It's just it's timing thing. So I guess my question would be, then why don't you make more time? Because I think, I think we both can agree the sacrament is important in general, right? It's not. It's, it's, a, good, yeah, it's, it's a good reminder the, to, to remind us of the promises that we've made to God. Okay. It's a good reminder. We forget often, so we ought to do it. Okay. So I would say that, and according to prophets and apostles and scriptures and stuff, it is at least strongly strongly suggested that that's something that we should do on the sabbath day so like whether or not you agree with it is different but that is what has been taught that's what we're asked to do so if that's what we're asked to do and you know what you're saying you know well i can spend time with my son well why can't you do both well why can't you spend time with your son on friday night or thursday night if you're traveling for work don't travel that week i could you know like at the end of the day church is we only count sacrament. It's one hour of a whole week. I mean, it's less than a tithe, right? Like it's but, of your week. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. You know, like it's, it's a fair argument, but besides the point that it's the Sabbath day, why can't I partake of the sacrament on a Friday? You know, like I don't think that there's necessarily anything wrong with taking 
the sacraments Friday, but I would say... So if I've accomplished that purpose, then why can't I go do other things on the Sabbath that maybe are more wholesome or that I think brings me closer to God? Because frankly, Chris, there are days that I sit in church and I'm like, the only reason that I am here is because I want my son to know that it is okay to make sacrifices and do things that we don't necessarily enjoy but we should do them anyway. That is literally the only reason why I go to church mm-hmm. every Sunday besides no. partaking of the sacrament. Yeah. Is because I'm doing it for my kids. Yeah. Which I think is a Because that's that's a good lesson to learn for him because yeah. he he doesn't like going to church. Really? What kid does? Like they have to sit in a pew. Yeah. Unless you bring snacks and then yeah. you've you've defeated the the purpose of church anyways and you're just on entertaining them, right? Yeah. For three-year-olds, four-year-olds, it's hard. But that's the point, is three-year-olds and four-year-olds don't love sitting in the pew listening to people bear their testimonies. And so why do we go to church? Well, son, it's important important for you to do things that we believe are right, Mm -hmm. even though we don't necessarily enjoy them. And that's one way that I teach him that lesson. Mm -hmm. It's an easy reminder every week. And he asks me, Dad, when are we going to leave? Dad, when are we going to leave? Like, Sundays? No, we haven't, we haven't put him in sunbeams. Oh, he would probably like it then. He loves That's sunbeams. That's all Sage loves, is the sunbeams. He loves sunbeams, because yeah. he gets to play, play. around with other kids <laughs> and socialize. And, um, but anyways, so going back to my point, if I didn't have any kids, I probably would be spending less time in the pews and more time connecting with people in the outdoors or being with my wife camping or traveling the world, for example. Come to your friend's lesson, maybe. Yeah. And maybe you'd enjoy church. Well, I, I, can't come, I can't come to your board, bro. It's not within my geographical boundaries. Well, yeah. You can. <laughs> you technically can. But I, so one of the things that um, I was thinking of was, you know, if everybody adopted the, I don't know if attitude's the right word, but like the mindset of like, I don't have to come, which again, I don't love the phrasing like I have to go. Because that's not why I go. Like I don't go because I have to. I go because I I know that it's good. And if I go with the right attitude, I can gain something from it. And that the sacrament is really important for me. Unfortunately, it's not always as meaningful, as impactful as it should be, just because I do have two kids and my son is freaking crazy at church. But I try to make it powerful. That being said, good. if people adopted the attitude of, well, I don't know if I want to go this week or I just like, let's just skip, so to speak. Then I don't know how anything would really get done. It wouldn't. And you make a really good point. And I think that, you know, if everyone adopted my attitude and and there was no organized religion, then it would be a bad thing. So sometimes you do have to bite the bullet and do things that you don't want to do. Like I'm teaching my son. But for the most part, I would say that it is not impossible. Actually, not for the most part. I would, I would emphatically say that church activity and the testimony of Jesus are not the same. Are not the same. In, in the cultural view of the sense of activity. But I that guess. is what was taught in general conference this, this year. Yeah. I can't remember who gave the talk, but mm-hmm. he was very emphatic about that. It's like, if you're not an active member of the church, I think what he said is like, you're in... If you're a lukewarm believer of the gospel or not full active. I don't know if he said lukewarm believer in the gospel. That would be different then. Because he said something about activity in the church. You're mm-hmm. risking losing your children in the eternities. Mm-hmm. What, bro? 
Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a wrong way to, to teach, teach people and to think about this. Mm-hmm. Church activity has, it, I shouldn't say nothing to do. Because I think there's a correlation for sure. There's a correlation, but it doesn't necessarily Certainly. mean that you are absolutely valiant in the testimony of Jesus because you're active uh-huh. and then vice versa. Just because you're not active in the church of Jesus Christ doesn't mean that you aren't valiant in the testimony of Jesus and that you're going to lose your children. Also, just as a side note, that's not even what church Mormon doctrine teaches. Like when when we go up and and we're with God again, our children aren't necessarily our children, are they? They're our brothers. No, they're our brothers and our sisters. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who's to say that Luca isn't like eternally older than me? Like he's my older brother, you know what I mean? And so this idea of like, can be our children anymore that's that's how it is gonna be you know we're yeah. just gonna be connected as one big family mm-hmm. and we're gonna be like oh that was a cool experience getting to be your dad scaring people into hey yeah. you're gonna lose your children number one that's such a, a bad tactic and then number two mm-hmm. that's not even true you're not gonna lose your children because they were yeah. never your children to begin with it's like a divine role that god has given us mm-hmm. to help us understand what it means to be like him yeah. Just silly, dude. Yeah, I I agree with the messaging. I don't I don't love it. I think that in theory that he's correct in the sense that if we are not valiant, I agree with the equivocation, though I think that he implicitly means that activity does mean valiant in the testimony of Jesus, because I think that I think that true activity is actually true activity to Christ, right? And if this is Christ's church, then activity within Christ's church would mean that you have relationship with jesus like they technically should be aligned if you're doing it for the right reasons because i would say that even though somebody goes to church don't believe anything that's being said and they don't believe in the gospel but they're just going every week for whatever reason i would say they're not active right but 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 they are in the view of like oh well they're going to church you know they're renewing covenants but but i think that's actually misdefinition talking about language of the word activity like we are wrongly attributing activity to going to church when typically participating in calling. Yeah. And where typically that can't like that mostly is true, but it's not necessarily true. It's not. So I do agree with the sense that if you, like if you were never to go to church with your kids, they probably would not go to church. Yeah. Right. Like that's probably true. And I think that's the message, but I think that that can be equivocated incorrectly and, and taken incorrectly. So, yeah. The, and, and the reason, like, I want my kids to go to church. I think there's purpose in church. That's why we go to church. Um, but I don't want them to have the same relationship that I had with the church. And so we're going to try and teach them a different way. Um, so what, gosh, I was going to say something and it just slipped my mind. It was very important. Um, maybe it'll come back to me. Uh, it was about the church too. Activity, provocation, rebuying your children. Your role, like how you grew up with the church. I mean, I feel like if I, I personally think that a lot of the, well, I, I know that you think this too, but a lot of the issues that you've had are mostly due to the OCD, right? The scrupulosity. And unfortunately, no, it, well, it, yes, but it was, it had to do with my understanding of the nature of God. Right. Combined with, with my OCD. The, yes. And I think that with the correct view of god which i think that honestly you believe in like i i that's why at the end of the day i enjoy these conversations because i think that our belief in who god is is actually 
98% aligned. Like I, there may be some differences in what we think God expects of us, but like who God is and how he loves us and how he wants the best for us and a parental role, I think is very similar. I don't know where I was going either. <laughs> Maybe it's a sign because I just have a <laughs> mental roadblock. I, I was going to say something. I I like it was so important for me to say, but I freaking forgot it. But maybe oh, the scrupulosity. That's yeah. Well, yeah. Sorry, man. The scrupulosity part. Like I think that, like now with the understanding of who God is, like I think that, and you essentially overcoming your scrupulosity. Because for me, I for sure had scrupulosity, and for me, overcoming in different ways. A lot of it was through supplements that I'm taking that has enormously helped with my OCD. Like enormously and so that helped me in my journey and where i don't feel this immense guilt if i don't confess this one thing or if i don't say this one thing or if i don't do this one thing but um i think that as you and i go through this book specifically and further understand what god expects of us and how he speaks to us like i honestly think that we agree on like 97 percent of the things that we talk about it's, it's truly just, honestly, prophets, the role of prophets and apostles, and priesthood authority. That's really, that's really it. I'm going to break it down. Right? And, and the role they play. Not, in our lives. Not whether or not they're important. We all, yes. we all agree they're important. It's just what role should they play in our lives and what priority should we give them in the grand scheme of things. That's right. where we seem to differ, differ. a little bit. Which... Um, we didn't really even talk about the book, but chapter three, Modern Leahona, Scripture, Revelation, and Disciples of the Second Sort. I read ahead a little bit, and I'm like, okay, I can see why put Dallin wanted me to read this book, because this is a lot of what he says. Um, this part, specifically, maybe this is a teaser for next week, but B.H. Roberts talks about two different types of disciples of Christ, and he says, disciples are of two sorts. There are first the disciples, pure and simple. They expound and defend and ward off foes and live and die faithful to one formula. On the other hand, there are disciples of a second sort. The seed that the sower stresses upon his fields springs up in his soil and bears fruit, 30, 60, and 100 fold. Disciples of the second sort cooperate in the works of the Spirit and help lead to a truer expression of their faith. And B.H. Roberts says that um, Mormonism calls for these disciples of the second sort. Disciples will not be content with merely repeating some of its truths, but will develop its truths and enlarge it by that development. Yeah, it's a great quote. I totally forgot about that. Mm -hmm. So, should be an interesting discussion next week. But do you remember it? No, I'm tapped out. I think that that's just it's almost sign. midnight. <laughs> I think that's just my sign to be done. Yeah, but I will say. I was on Instagram last night, and my sister-in-law posted a video about this woman who was bearing testimony about why she goes to church. And it made me, it was just interesting to, to listen to this woman's testimony because during COVID, she stopped going to church. And then when COVID was gone, she didn't go back to church because she just hated being there. Right, she just didn't feel like it was uplifting or whatever. And then she finally made the decision to go back to church because she loved Jesus, and that was her reasoning. Yeah, 
And for me, I have no qualms with that. If that's truly how you express your love for Jesus, but you, st- and, and, and she was adamant, like she still hates going to church, but mm-hmm. she does it because she loves him. Mm-hmm. And that's, and, and that's what she believes he expects of her. Yeah. I can't disagree with that. I don't know what's going on between her and God, but if that's how she wants to view it, kudos to her. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good thing. I think that there's another way to go about it. And I am choosing to live the more healthy way for you, for me. But going to church doesn't mean that it's un- unhealthy. I've just found a better way for this time. And that could change in a year. It could change in two years. It could change in five years. But at the end of the day, I do not equate church activity with discipleship. I think that it makes it, it can make it, it can make it easier, but it doesn't always necessarily mean that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. There are other ways to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I, I think that as long as you are honestly striving to become like your heavenly father, then you're going to be okay. So anyways, I wish I could have thought of that thought, man. It was good. It was going to be good. <laughs> I have a point to make. And I just like hit a block. Super so. thought. <laughs> yeah, maybe it was. Follow Spirit, everyone. Be safe out there. <laughs> All right. Until next time.